If you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we will be in verse number 4 today. This is the second message in our series, Through the Eyes of Jesus. Uh, Walk through the Sermon on the Mount. And as you're turning there, um, how many of you have been involved with agriculture at some point in your life? Can I see your hand? Okay. Uh, Since I have been in Franklin County, uh, some of you who have uh, been here back in the day, whenever the day was, you have told me about uh, what it was like to, to work tobacco fields. And whether you have done that, my first real experience was with farming was in 2004 when I moved to South Georgia to pastor a church there. 90% of the local economy was based upon agriculture in some ways. And I actually lived next to a field in which they planted peanuts every year. And when they were planting, one of the things you have to do, and our farmers know this, before before you plant, there's a lot of work that goes into it, but one of the main things is that you have to dis up or plow up the fallow or the hard ground. Am I right? In other words, if you just go out and you try to plant seed on ground that has not been plowed up, and in a sense, if we could say, roughed up, then it's not going to go very well. And I remember watching those, those those huge combines and those tractors that would go across the field and they would have those those blades that would go deep in the ground and they would just, I mean, they were just cutting up the ground. And if you if you can think for a moment as a child, and I love kids, Rocky Mount Baptist Church loves children, amen? And with, if you could think as a child for just a moment, if the ground had personal type of characteristics, the ground would be hurting, right? If you're being plowed up, you would experience some level of pain. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And in order for us to come to the place where God has for us to be able to mourn and to cry and to be broken over what God is broken for, there has to be some plowing up of our hearts. And if you are like me, if we just drift in autopilot mode, our life can very easily drift into the area to where it's all about me. And we'll be broken about what breaks us. We'll be broken about our paycheck that has been lowered. We'll be broken about our problems. But when we look through the eyes of Jesus, Jesus, His entire persona, who He was, was broken for us on the cross. When God poured out all of His wrath against sin, and Jesus said, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? And then when Jesus said, to telestai, which means that it is finished, and He gave Himself up, Jesus was being broken for others. And so, go with me, if we are following Jesus and we are pursuing Him with everything that we are, with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength, not of our own power, but through His power, there is an element of that, an element of brokenness over what breaks the heart of God. 
And notice Jesus' phrase, if we read it again, blessed are those who mourn or those who weep bitterly for they shall be comforted. That is the oxymoron of all oxymorons. It's like, blessed are those who cry for they will be happy. Now the background here is that if you had been a hearer in Jesus' world and you would have heard these words, there would have been a school of thought called the Stoics. And the Stoics, if you're taking notes, it's there in your outline. The Stoics taught, basically, that you should live your life and suppress all emotion. That emotion is bad. That the only thing that should make a difference to you is duty. Simply doing what you should. No emotion at all. On the other end of the spectrum, there were the hedonists. These were the the crazy people. This was the party crowd. These were the people who said... Emotions and feelings, that's what life is all about. So if it feels good, if it feels right, if you, if you just feel like doing that, then go ahead and do it. Now how, how many of us would not be where we should be in life if we simply did what we felt like? I remember growing up as a kid, and I told my brother, because I was the oldest brother, older siblings, you have this innate God-given sense of superiority, right? Over your other brothers and sisters. And then when you try to apply that, like you're a parent, they revolt. And if you've ever tried to apply corporal punishment to your younger brothers or younger siblings like I have, you find out that it goes, it doesn't go over very well. Alright? And you tell your brother, your sister, do your chore. And they say, no, you do your chore. You say, well, do it. And they say, I don't, what? Feel like it. Most of us, when we got up this morning and you, you, you saw that rain coming down, it was so soft, wasn't it? It was just like that perfect, it was cool this morning, you could just pop your windows open, there wasn't any wind so you wouldn't wake up and your half of your house would be wet from the, the rain blowing in through your windows. It was just an awesome morning. And you know what I felt like when I got up this morning? I felt like I would, my bed looks like a great camping spot. And some of you are like, Brother Jeff, you're a pastor. Pastor, no, honestly, there are some times, but then it's like, you know what? People are going to come. It's time to get out of the bed. Get yourself up, right? Like in Rocky, get up, get up, you bum, because Mickey loves you. Get up because Jesus loves you. Y'all like to spin on that? To get up and to say, you know what? It's not what I feel like, because if I'm driven by my feelings, there are many decisions that I will make that will not honor God and will bring me unnecessary pain. So you've got the Stoics that say, live, be the John Wayne man who could experience the death of his wife or his best friend and hardly even have the faintest glimpse of any moisture in his eyes. Jesus doesn't teach Stoicism. Jesus doesn't teach hedonism that says just feel good, whatever feels good, do it. Jesus teaches what it truly means to be human. And whether you are from the school of thought or that's just the way that you've lived your life, whatever you feel, you just let those emotions go and we can follow you by finding the body trail that you leave. In church, in personal life. And then maybe some of you say, you know what, Jeff, I'm just a duty person. I do my duty and that's all. that. Just don't worry about emotion. And if we talk to the people who knew you best, they say, well, he or she... They do a good job, but it's like they're distant emotionally and spiritually. 
Jesus teaches what it truly means to be human. So the question here, when we read the Bible in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, the question is, what is mourning? What, what does it mean to mourn? Now, mourning is, and this is the definition, passionate grief that leads to action. The word in the Greek is penthos. It, it literally means a passionate sort of grief But it doesn't just stay there to where we feel bad about our situation or what we have done, but it moves to action. You say, well, Jeff, well, mourning over what? Passionate grief over what? Well, there are several aspects of what the Bible says grief should be for. But we know that there are certain things that are not legitimate to mourn over. All you have to do is, well... Come to VBS next year. Come to any of our nursery sessions. In fact, see if you can go talk to the administration of any of the elementary schools in Franklin County and just have an observational case study, uh, I guess we could say trip that's given by your pastor to go and watch children interact with one another. And children usually cry while they're still children in their mind over what benefits or what harms them. If something is taken away from them that they want, they cry. If they see something that they want that they don't yet have, they cry. When they are sitting, and some of you mothers, you have experienced the embarrassment of this, going to the grocery store and they're sitting there in the uh, in the stroller or whatever it is, and they see something that they want and they say, Mom, I want it. You say, no, honey, we're not going to have that. And they what? They cry. The Apostle Paul says that when I was a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. When we become a follower of Jesus Christ, it's no longer strictly what benefits us that makes us emotionally attached or emotionally driven to or away from. But we come to the throne of God and we bend the knee in our heart and say, Jesus, how can I use my life to bring other people to You? And when that happens, we will be broken over number one, We will be broken over human suffering. We will be broken over human suffering. In Genesis chapter 37 and verse 34, when Joseph's brothers come back and they give the news of what their father actually thought was true, they told their father that their brother Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. Jacob, the Bible said, wept. He was broken. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 18, the Bible describes the weeping that was experienced in Bethlehem when Herod, wanting to maintain his throne, sent out that fateful order. And those, those soldiers, more than likely ashamed to do it, but they didn't want to experience the same fate. They followed the order and they marched or they rode their horses slowly, maybe quickly to Bethlehem. And you know, they, they, I can imagine these men that had been putting down insurrections and defending the Roman peace, the Pax Romana, had been given the order to go in and take the lives of all of the baby boys two years and under. And the Bible says there was weeping at human suffering. When we look in our world today, there is much to be broken about. I heard John MacArthur say this. He said that weeping, passionate grief that leads to action, what the Bible speaks of here, is actually God's mercy. That when we go through a a brutal experience, all of the grief that is stored in our heart, it gives an outlet to it. 
And one of the things as a pastor, and I'm 32 years old, God has graciously given me health up to this point. I don't know how long I'll live, how long I'll be healthy. I don't get sick very often. Praise the Lord. I think it was like two years since I had a cold. I mean, I'm just very grateful for that. But as a pastor, I go into retirement homes. I go into hospitals. And what I see sometimes are people who have been forgotten. Y'all okay? I'm 32 years old. I can walk into the room. I can see the pictures of the person who has had a life, had a family. But in some cases, they have been put to the side. That breaks me. Mercy is not a natural tendency for me. I'm, I'm the spiritual gifts. I'm more of a leader, prophet. I try to cast the vision. But when you go and you see these people and being able to visit with some of these sweet members in our church who have serious physical problems, it should break you. It'll be five years tomorrow that my brother Jordan passed away and went to be with Jesus because of cancer. And I remember my brother and Justin and I, we would go in and visit Jordan. And he was under 21, so he was still in the children's cancer ward. And to walk by the rooms of some of those children, some of them, their parents had to be at work. Some of them, they didn't have big families. And they would just, as you walked by, they would lean their head over and look at you. And to see a little child on chemo, that should should break our hearts. You see, when Jesus came, He didn't come on this this mighty steed of war. Alexander the Great's heart, Bucephalus. What a a manly name for a horse. Jesus didn't come on that. Jesus came in brokenness and humility. Jesus touched people that were unclean by the ceremonial law. Question. Are you willing to invite unclean people to your home? Are you willing to put your life in the social strata of those who don't have it together? Are you willing to step out like Jesus? And are we willing to put our money where our mouth is and actually invest in people that inconvenience us? I'm broken over my lack of brokenness. Are y'all okay? The fact that, that we can know this, and, and notice if you have your, your bulletin here, uh, the prayer concerns, these are not just names. These are real people. And that's just a fraction of the need that's in Franklin County. And those of you who went with us on our mission trip to Costa Rica last year, and we walked, do you remember where we walked? And we, we looked at poverty. Poverty, a deep kind of poverty, and, and, and we were broken. And how, how is it? And the guns are turned right here before they turn out there. How is it so often that me and preachers like me can preach with no moistness in our eyes over the brokenness of human suffering? Do you realize, especially our seniors, that most people my age or younger that you will ever see at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, if statistics hold true, about half of those do not have what we would understand as a father figure. Most of them come from broken homes. Does that break you? 
You know what happens in a lot of churches? I'm just, just going to let it out. Sometimes we can see people come on a Sunday morning. And they, they may not be dressed according to what you think they should be dressed as. Now, obviously, there's a line of biblical morality. All right? We all in the same, same line there. But someone comes and you look at them and say... How could they come to church dressed that way? As opposed to that person, I don't know them. Do they know Jesus? And if they're wearing something that you don't think is churchy enough, then go be their friend. Hello! May God break us in America from focusing on things like this. Y'all all right? Some are. Brokenness over human suffering. Jesus, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, that Jesus was a man of sorrows and He was acquainted with grief. Question. Are you willing to associate with those people who are experiencing grief? Those of you that are willing to and those of you have know that there is no greater blessing to invest your life and to say, you know what? These people, I will mourn with you. I will mourn for you. But not only are we supposed to be broken over the suffering of this world, but we're supposed to be broken over the sin of this world. There's a statement by C.S. Lewis, because I, I know I know. by the time we hit this point, you're saying, Jeff, give me a second. I have been hurt in my life. I have been hurt by church, you see. And I, I'm not yet willing to jump in to serve people because I don't want to get hurt again. Let me give you a statement by C.S. Lewis in his book on the four loves. It comes from the chapter on charity. He says, quote, To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one. Not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will not become, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Reach out to the broken. We've heard this so many times, right? The church is not a showcase for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. Amen and amen and amen. Tell you what. You say, Jeff, listen, man, every week when you say fill out that card and put that thing in the plate, I know if I do, somebody's going to come try to hunt me down. Because you see, Jeff, I got problems. I got problems. I'm watching my back. Guess what? Join the club. And if you don't think you have problems, welcome to the Pharisee Club because they are the ones that didn't think they had any. Isn't it freedom for those of you who have truly been saved to say, Jesus, I am broken. I can do nothing to mend myself. I am coming only because of Your grace. Amen. There's such freedom in that. Because it's not about how good you can be, how much you can perform, but it is the fact that you have mourned. You've been broken. The ground of your heart has been plowed up by the tractor of God's grace. 
Psalm 119, 136, the Bible says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, the Bible says, I fear, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Another question. Does the sin of our culture break our hearts? Does it? I, I, I mean, really, does it? Does it affect us in such a way that when we hear of people who are, who are living together, or someone who is outside God's will, someone who is, who is controlled by their desire for, for alcohol, or for drugs, or for someone who they just are holding on to so much bitterness, they can barely even speak without gritting their teeth about that other person. Does that, does that bother you? Does it bother me to the point to where I get on my knees and I pray for people? Now, right here, I know that we're clashing with culture because we're all Americans. I said, Amen. Amen. All right. Americans, we have a finely tuned sense of what is individually appropriate for personal freedom. I get that. First Amendment, all the way through the tenth, good stuff. We should support it. And I think we should defend it against those who would want to gut it. But with that being said, people say, Jeff, it's a free country. Yes. Yes. It's a free country. Newsflash. So if it's a free country, you have the political freedom to bring someone to true freedom in Jesus Christ. We catch that? Yes. It's a free country. You can reject Jesus and go to hell. But if our idea is, well, it's their, their, it's your life. Really? I know none of you. If there, imagine if there was a, there was a wreck right near Hales Ford Bridge. Someone stuck in the car. We say, you know what? The car's about to explode. EMTs come in. The person says, no, 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 no. This is the way that I want it. I want to go out in a blaze of glory. No pun intended, but I'm ready to go. EMTs, you, our police force, would say no. It is my what? My duty. My duty to save you. And whether someone rejects your offers to come to church, whether someone says, you know what, I don't want to talk about it, you still have a duty before God Almighty, and you have a privilege, and you will have the promises of God's Word, that if you pray for them, if you bend the knee for them, if you mourn over them, if you are broken over them, God can do what you never could do. So don't give up on your lost friends and family. Don't do it. Satan says, look at how hardened their heart is. We say, look at how strong God is. Satan says, but look at how long they've been away from God. But we say, hey, guess what? Look at how long God has been in existence. Satan wants to say, but look at all of their excuses. We say, look at all of God's answers. But it's so easy not to be broken because we're not even focused upon what God would have us to focus on. I'm going to write down a text. This has been a transformational verse for me. 
Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, speaking of Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Oh, friends, Jesus. I love Jesus. Amen. He's not like that person that you go to and they're going to bring up everything that you've ever done even though it's already been forgiven. When you look at Jesus and we look through Jesus' eyes and He saw all of the people, He was moved with compassion. Some of us, we can be moved by politics. Whether you're from the center or the right or the left, it doesn't matter. And something I've noticed in my life and is how easily I can... Being moved by politics. Or, or check this out. By how much money is taken out of your paycheck. You ever look at that? How much you actually make, how much you actually bring home. We're just like, oh my goodness. It's like the government's robbing me. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. I'm working to support all these people who are not working. We just get worked up and we're just going down the road fired up. And then, then, we think of someone who doesn't know Christ. Well, this is it's their life. In order to be followers of Jesus Christ, we have to allow Him to break our hearts over the human suffering and also over human sin. But number three, we have to be broken. This is primarily where it sits over our own sin. Y'all okay? You know, I don't know your church background, and it's so cool, Rocky Mount Baptist Church. We have people who've been involved in all types of churches that are here now, and we're so glad. And by the way, when God brings us new people, we should rejoice in that. Right, church? I mean, hey, look, if our budget goes up $50,000 next year over what we need, cool, we'll do ministry with it. But if God gives us people... Who we can pour into and see changed by the Lord Jesus. That, that's where it's at. That's where it is. I know it's not proper English, but that's where it's at. But we have to come to a point to ask ourselves, when is the last time I have been broken and I have mourned over my sin? Now we have... Some people who are not physically able to do this. But this this is just a question. When is the last time in any type of a church service to where you have humbly said, God, I'm going to come down at the end of the service. I don't care what people think. I'm going to bend my knee. I'm going to pray for people. I'm going to thank you for your mercy in my life because you see what can happen in church so often, regardless if you come from churches that do invitations or don't do invitations, we're so concerned about other people. But when we mourn over our sin, it can be a sign of true, genuine humility and repentance. Write this text down, even though it should be uh, in your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul says this, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Now notice this in verse 10. This is huge. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Think of it like this. The difference between godly sorrow over your sin brings you and points you to Jesus who can forgive you of your sin. Worldly grief causes you to slide down into despair and hopelessness away from Jesus to where there can be no forgiveness. 
It's kind of like um, when I was working my way through seminary, I was a math tutor. I, one of those. And there was this, this one boy who came in and he was notorious in the school. He was in eighth grade for causing problems. But I didn't know that parents like this actually still existed. Teachers. The teachers, all they had to do to get him back in line is say his name and then say, I'm going to tell your dad. And his dad would apply, it wasn't child abuse, but it was the Board of Education, otherwise known as Biblical uh, Corporal, not Capital, but Corporal, not Capital, Corporal Punishment. And there was one time in tutoring where he just would not pay attention trying to get the other kids, I said. And I tried to use my, my authoritarian voice and make it go really deep. And I said, Dalton, I'm going to have to call your dad. And a look of fear, a look of, of horror came over his face and he began to cry, please don't call my dad. Please don't call my dad. Now question, was he repentant? Or was he just sorry at the results? He was just sad because he was going to be punished. And you see, that's a difference between grief and repentance. Repentance is where we see our sin as having offended an all-righteous, all-knowing, holy God who has no blemish at all. But where some of us can stop is we stop too short to where we're just simply sad that our choices have produced our problems. Let me give you another reference about remorse versus repentance. Matthew chapter 27 and verses 3 through 5. The Bible says, Then when Judas, Jesus' betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned in betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is it to us? See to it yourself. Judas didn't actually repent. In fact, the word in the Greek New Testament is not the word for repent. It's the word for simply you're sorry and you have regret. I know this is one of these heavy messages. Everybody still okay? We lost too many people? Some of us, we can stop too short in simply being sorry about what our sin has produced for us. As opposed to, God, my sin has been against you. If you've read your Bibles for any length of time, you've probably come across Psalm 51. It is the quintessential, the, the I guess we could say the blueprint for repentance in the Bible to where David says, against you and you only have I sinned. And we have to come to that point. Also, Esau in the Old Testament who gave away his birthright to his brother Jacob for simply a pot of red stew. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 and 17 says in verse 17, For you know that afterward, speaking of Esau, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Repentance comes when we weep over our own sins. James chapter 4, verse 9, the Bible says, Be miserable, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. You say, Jeff, what types of things should break my heart in regards to my own sin? Things like ingratitude. How many of us sometimes we're going throughout our day and we just dig into that food? I mean, it's lunchtime, it's dinner time. we've been working, and we just dig in instead of saying, you know what, God, if it were not for Your grace and Your mercy, this, this meal, this simple meal, 
and this this beverage here, and this dessert. This is this is from you. If it were not because of your grace, I would have been in hell many years ago. But yet, through your mercy, you have chosen to give me life and to give me the ability, even the health, to eat this meal. Jesus, thank you. And to be people be like, dude, that's weird. That's like you're getting too you're getting too specific, Jeff. You're getting you're making like eating, thanking God over your food a big deal. No, here's the big deal that we don't think that things that God say are a big deal are actually a big deal. We approach God to say, that's no problem. God God doesn't mind if I, I mean, you know, use his name in vain once in a while. If I, you know, do this over here. Because you see, Jeff, I've been stressed out. That's the reason why I yelled at my wife. And we make excuses for ourselves and God is saying, come to me and be broken and mourn over your sin. You see, see, some of us, we want to cut out the first part of the verse. We want to cut out, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who have that inward grief that works it out, works itself out to action. But we just want to go straight to comfort it. We want to go to Lifeway. And this is nothing against Lifeway. Y'all okay? You go to a Christian bookstore. And we want to buy all the coffee mugs and all the t-shirts that have the good happy verses, right? You know, Jeremiah, I have good plans for you, and you know, God is happy, you know, the big, the big, you know, if you have this shirt, you don't have to burn it or anything, but it's got that big, you know, the, the yellow, uh, smiley face, and it says, smile, God loves you. There's one of my friends in seminary, he was a Marine sniper, and then after he got out of the Marine Corps, uh, he came to Jesus, he was being trained to be a missionary, on the back of his van, it had a, it said, United States Marine Corps sniper, you can run, but you'll only die tired, right next to it was a yellow smiley face that says, smile. God loves you. And I was like, Charles, you're awesome, dude. You are awesome. I love that. If you don't get it, just let it go. All right. But you see, we, we, we want to gravitate to the happy stuff. And I've had a great, man, y'all are an awesome church. I'm serious. I talk to pastor friends and I'm able to, to in Christ, give props to you guys and say, you know what? It's a church we have. We have all different ages. Is it kind of sounds like a family to me. The family of God. And I know some churches reach different groups and that's fine. But we're so glad to have the oldest member to us and the ones that are all in the way. Amen? But we have to take a step back and evaluate ourselves and say, do I automatically gravitate to the happy? Do I automatically gravitate to, man, I wish Jeff would just go over these verses and get to the stuff, I don't know, like maybe verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Because he may make a joke about food or something like that. That that, that sounds like a fun type of message. I mean, it's about food and we're Baptists, we love food. I mean, But see, we, we, we gravitate to the good news. Well, good news is only good news if we have knowledge of why it's good news. Think with me along these lines. To tell someone that Jesus Christ has died for their sins and saved them from hell if they don't think that they're really a sinner that bad and they don't think that they deserve hell, is that actually good news to them? No, it's weird. It's really, really weird and it's borderline awkward. But if we look at God's Word... And we understand that we are sinners, that we are liars, thieves, we are adulterers in our hearts, murderers in our hearts. If we've ever had a thought towards someone else, either in lust or in anger, if we have ever used God's name in vain, the third commandment, we are guilty of blasphemy. If we've ever done our own thing instead of what God says to do, we're guilty of idolatry, creating a God in our own image or with our minds. 
If we see the gravity and the seriousness and the deepness of those things, and we realize that God is real and that death is coming and that hell is forever and God is a righteous judge, but then we begin to despair, don't we? I mean, if all we knew was about ourselves, we would say, oh, woe is me. How can I, how can I save myself? You don't have to know very much about world religions to see how so much leads to absolute disillusionment and saying, I give up. We can't do it. But then the good news comes in and the gospel tells us that Jesus fulfilled the law where we broke the law and Jesus is perfect in every single way. And if we would just repent of our sin and turn to Him, He will make us brand new and give us a new heart and a new life. And He'll make everything, everything from the inside out brand spanking new. And not only that, but He'll save you from hell and bring you to be with His presence forever when you die. That's good news. But only because we realize Our sin, our sin that had to be mourned over and broken over. You say, Jeff, I don't, okay, I get it. I'm supposed, if God is working upon me, I should be broken for the sin of the world, for the, the suffering of the world, for my own sin. But shouldn't God's grace come in there somewhere? You read your bulletin. Good job. God's grace contrasted with our sinfulness. Two hands up, Sunday morning. That should bring us to our knees. Some of you, God has blessed you with precious children. And you see that precious baby, and for those of you who don't, you can go, I mean, you see the children here. How do you, how do you explain that? You ever been with someone, and, or maybe your own children, and, and they come out, and, and you take dad, and his hands are strong from working, and he maybe not all be a lot of emotional, but he's just, I mean, he's, just, he's lost it. Look at him, you know, and look at, you just, you just lose it, because it's a miracle. It's precious. We are the few, the healthy, the, the fact that we are here. And the fact that we know of Jesus Christ that could, should bring us to our knees. Remember in Mark chapter 14, verse 32, when the rooster crowed and Peter realized that he had denied Jesus three times. And the Bible says that Peter went out, he ran out, and he wept bitterly. He wept. It was passionate grief that led him to action. When is the last time that we have wept? Over our sin? When is the last time that we have cared enough for someone that we know that we say, Jesus, I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm not just going to invite them to church and say, well, it's, just, it's, their, it's their life. But I'm going, to, I'm going to intercede. I want to stand in the gap for them. When is the last time that that has happened? You say, Jeff, how do I know if I'm a mourner? The fact of whether you mourn over your sin or whether you excuse it. You say, Jeff, what happens when I do mourn over my sin? over the sin of others, over the suffering of the world, the Bible says they will be comforted. I praise God that there are promises in His Word. One of those is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that there is a day coming that He, not somebody else, He's not sending an angel to do it. He's not 
not sending a proxy, but Jesus Christ will come and wipe every single tear from our eyes. Can I get an amen in the house this morning? There will be no more crying. No more heartbreak. And for those of you, you bless my heart. You call and say, say, Pastor Jeff, I've been praying for my friend. I'm working on them. I'm inviting them to church. That blesses my heart. Guess what? When that day comes, the battle will have been fought and it will be over. It will come into the presence of the King and we will have mourned and we will have been broken over the world that God placed us in some of us for a very short amount of time. Some of you will, will have a long life. Some of us may have according to modern American standards, a short life. However long that is, use your job, use your education, use your friendships to bring somebody to Jesus Christ and be willing to love Jesus enough and to love them enough to be broken over their sin. And the thing that I will conclude with, it's the thing that breaks me about this message, is honestly how much of my life has not been broken for other people. And today, in front of you, we're not even making it to the invitation Yet, repenting, recommitting myself to be broken over what God says to be broken for. Because by God's grace, I do not want to be a callous, cold-hearted preacher who can preach about the things of Jesus Christ, but yet never a tear will come to my eye. This is our time of invitation. I ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me right now. This is where we can respond. I want to speak to those of you that have known Jesus Christ for many years. And it seems like there was a time in the past to where you couldn't get enough of Jesus. But things have happened. Life has happened. Just like the driving thought of this message, life hurts, but yet God heals. Life has hurt. And you have retracted within saying, I, 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 can't, I can't reach out because I'll get hurt again. Why don't you just come, come to Jesus this morning? He promises you that He will comfort you. He will place His arms around you. And He will mend what life, what sinful people have broken inside you. He can mend it. Why don't you come and experience that this morning? In your seat just right now, say, Jesus, I commit myself to you. I, I want to come back to you. There, there, there's, there's been blockage in our relationship because I've drifted away from you because you haven't moved. Why don't you just repent, recommit your life to Jesus right now, and begin to follow Him by being broken for other people. And there may be some of you this morning and you say, Jeff, I have been in church I even thought that I got saved at one time, but there was no true brokenness. There was, I I did feel remorse about the life that I had lived, but there's been no true heart change. I still use profanity in person, just like everybody else does. I still post vile things on Facebook and social media. There's been no true heart change, and I see that because my life has not changed. But today, I need Jesus. I, I don't need religion. I need to be changed. If that is you, in this moment, give your life to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Just ask Him, say, Jesus, please save me. Save me. There are others of you, and God, is, it's been so hard for you to sit through this message.
Because God has brought someone to your mind. And you know that you need to, to intercede for them and to be broken on their behalf because they are not broken. God has plowed up your heart. And at this moment, you want to act in compassion. Why don't you just come and pray? Along the front, when we begin to sing here in just a few moments. And if you have given your life to Jesus Christ here today, and your desire is to follow Him, why don't you come forward? This is the way that we do our invitation. We stand and we sing and we give people the opportunity to walk forward. And what you'll be doing when you do that, I'll be standing here in the center aisle. You're telling God and everyone else, I am ready to put feet to my prayers. I know walking down doesn't save me, but I'm ready to stand up for Christ and to be counted. Why don't you come? You know that today is the day that you need to, to turn. Why don't you come? I'll take you by the hand pray for you. There are others of you, you need to join this church. You need to be baptized. Why don't you come? God, would you help us during this time of invitation? Would you help us to mourn over the brokenness of our world so that this world can be comforted by you? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.